Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Music, Movies and Madness. I'm your host tonight, Glenn, and tonight we're doing a journey through 2001. Not the space oddity or odyssey. Um, it's just a year. Pretty momentous year, really. And joining me tonight, we've got David and Martin. Hey, guys. Hello. G'day, mate. How are we going? How are you? Um, wow, what a week. There's been lots happening around the world. Um, oh. But we also had an amazingly momentous sort of year in 2020. Well, like 2001. Yes, it's kind of, it does feel like a long time ago. But for younger listeners um, who may have not been around then, probably should go back and have a look at the history. It's pretty much defined the last, what, 25 years or 20 something years since mm. this particular year. But we're not going to get into all of that crazy madness because it's pretty weird. Um, but we're going to look at some albums first up from that year. Um, how did you guys go finding albums for 20, I want to say 2020, but it's not, it's 2001 to review? Yeah, it does. It, it's funny you should say that because it does feel like a long time ago, but at the same time, I do remember it quite clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel really old. Um, yeah, I thought there was, there was some great albums that year. There were some good sleeper albums as well, just kind of bubbling under the surface. It didn't quite... Mm make it but have become kind of classics over time as well yeah Glenn, on this year it was actually pretty easy pretty sweet because i do remember it mm. Mm. um and as soon as i saw my album the one i've chosen come up i was like i mm. have to pick this because i bought it back in the day and it's a concert album which i'll come to later the time's mm-hmm. right but it was one that i bought on dvd for my first dvd player Good grief, really. Turned out. And it was the first disc for, uh, yeah, it was a Mitsubishi DVD player. It was the first disc I got. And I guess because of that, it holds a bit of a special place because I used to crank it. Mm. My 5.1, fellas. Never had a 5.1 system then. Early days. Yeah, it was a little Sony, one of those Sony integrated sort of one unit with everything in it wasn't a fancy thing with separate components or anything like that. It was just a, a cheapy, but it sa- I thought it sounded amazing there. And it did. Yeah. Awesome. Love a bit well, of surround. Yeah, I mean, it really did with the advent of DVDs. You've got the surround mixers coming through pretty strong after that. So, you know, some of us are still obsessed with them on certain albums. But, hey, that's another matter. Um, it was an interesting time for music. There was a lot of good indie stuff. And there were some momentous albums released. Um, however, there were some truly tragic, awful sort of music scenes or stuff going around at that time. I mean, let's be fair, things like Slipknot, System of the Down, um, Lincoln Park, etc. all truly kind of that whole new metal sort of sound. I don't know. It was just rather awful, I thought, at the time. Um, but there was a lot of good indie stuff, um, some epic sort of albums that sort of, oh, dare I say, came out from that year. Um, so I think we'll cover some that, of these maybe in our review. But, yeah, so, I just remember not being overly yeah. impressed by a lot of music at that time. There was that song uh, last night. Do you oh, remember that? yes, yes. By, I mean, how, who, that, that was by? It was by The Strokes. The Strokes, Yes. That, that was humongous. 
that record. It was huge. Um, and it was huge for many, many years. And uh, it was almost a bit of one of those anthem songs, a little bit, yeah, anthemic at the time. And then from mm-hmm. there, the strokes you had, you had the um, the explosion of the likes of Franz Ferdinand. And, you know, a lot of guitar bands mm-hmm. sort of came mm-hmm. in after after that period, right? And um, I remember watching Live 8, was it, with you, Glenn? I yep. think, um, you know, in that early part of the 2000s, that number of guitar bands that had just sprung out of, Pretty much the Strokes, right? In that era, mm. um, and there's there's so many of them that you can just basically place them all. But yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I, I thought th- there was also the hangover from the '90s, and you had the likes of Eminem, and you had Coldplay, and bands like that mm. starting to really come into their fore, right? Um, gosh, Coldplay—that's how long ago it is. They've been around for ages now, haven't they? Yeah, there was a few bands that started off, like The National with their first album, if I remember right. The White Stripes were at probably the peak of their creative powers as well. Um, So, yeah, there was a lot going on. Kylie Minogue had that massive um, spinning around album. That's the hangover from the 90s that I'm referring to. Is it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Destiny's (laughs) Child had their first four, one of their first one of their massively huge albums as well, which, you know, the impact of that's been ongoing as well. It's pretty good. Really what was that, man? It's just really funny that you mentioned Kylie there because, you know, as a hangover, because, like, she's number one here at the moment, so. Yeah, and it's that same same pattern, eh? Kylie's just a legend. Yeah. She's like the smell on your feet. She never goes away. Not quite. <sighs> Well, if, if your feet, imagine <laughs> Kylie's feet smell pretty okay. I'd Who knows? But she doesn't seem to just keeps on going, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, welcome, Ian. Welcome, Ian's joined Thank us, you. everybody. Welcome, yeah, welcome. Ian's in the You've house. Made it. Got stuck good. in traffic. All yeah. oh, right. Yes. Um, so we're not going to put you on the spot straight away because that'd be a bit harsh. Um, but David's got a um something he'd like to share. I've gone for a um. A concert album, like I said before, um, a bit of a supergroup. I didn't think of them as a supergroup. When I did my research, that's what they came out as. And it was formed here in New Zealand, Aotearoa, back in 2001 by Mr. Neil Finn, brainchild of his, Seven Worlds Collide. So this was a project um, of his, was to bring together some of his sort of fave musicians he gives Johnny Marr a call sometime uh-huh. early 2001 after doing, I think, the Linda McCartney tribute concert a couple of years beforehand, and that's where he sort of met up with Johnny Marr and a whole lot of musos, and he gives Johnny a call. And he says, hey, what do you think about this project? You know, a whole lot of musicians that are sort of same values. A number of them had families that were quite young at the time, and they brought their families along, and they just basically came together for two weeks, one week of rehearsals and then one week of gigs. It was like it was the perfect kind of come together and then sort of do your thing and then and then get out of there. But um, obviously, lifelong friendships sort of ensued after that. Um, so the project consisted of Neil Finn, obviously Johnny Ma, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, Ed O'Brien and Phil Selway from Radiohead. Uh, Tim Finn, of course, was in there. Sebastian Steinberg from Soul, Co- Soul Coffee, I think it's called. Lisa Germano, who's a um, an American uh, vocalist and uh, pretty damn good on the violin and keys as well. And Betcha Duper, who were at the time Liam and Elroy Finn, 
um, before especially Liam's career exploded. Um, kind of pretty cool band. And Liam and Elroy were just sort of, I think, late teens at this stage, right? I mean, and just seeing them up there jamming with um, Uncle Tim and then you've got Eddie Vedder and Johnny Marr. I mean, what an absolute bloody hoot. So this is a concert film that um, I think they played four gigs at St. James in Auckland. Um, it's all on there on YouTube. You want to see it, guys? Um, there's some cool stuff on there. And there's some good behind the scenes in terms of some good ribbing between the bandmates because basically Neil Finn's like standing there and he's like saying, Right, we've got to get over this because um, I've got some pretty damn impressive people in the room and, and uh, they've got to learn my songs and i just got to tell them how to play it. And I had to sort of check myself a few times because I'm telling Johnny and I how to play guitar. <laughs> you just kind of realise it. Okay, all right, we've all got to get over each other. Yes, yes, we're all, we've all got a lot of baggage behind us. You know, Johnny hadn't played a Smith song live until this night after the band had broken up in 80, whenever it was. Um, so it was a big thing for him, and he he obviously Holy jumps moly. on. Yeah, he jumps on, and he, well, Neil sings his song. Uh, there is a light, Neil goes out, but then he sings down in the corner. Um, they're all singing each other's songs, but the one I've picked to lead us out with is my fave, which is "Take a Walk," sung by Eddie Vedder, um, and it's a um, originally a split end song back in the day, but Eddie gives it a really nice kind of kind of well his thing, and I really like the way he what he brings to the vocals so have a listen to this see what you guys think and Eddie's voice just yeah that should actually be the opening track it's track number two but I reckon that one should be right at the top because it's just, and, it and sounds, he, you know how Eddie was in Phil Jam days he's yeah. just freaking awesome sounds, sounds different eh, with him singing that yeah it does um there's a few tracks like that so Eddie sings he sings quite a few of them he sings stuff and nonsense another split and classic does that really well um he sings this one and I'll play a little bit and what I like about this part I see red we all know it Split ends classic, but he sings, um, he sings the first verse, uh, and I think the chorus, and then he gives it over to Tim. And just the the difference in vocals, um, when you've got, I mean, Eddie Vedder is no slouch right on vocals, but Tim, when he comes in, you can tell it's his song. He totally owns it. So, see what you think of this. The vocal gymnastics yeah. of Tim Finn is amazing. 
I'd forgotten the show. It was he's, damn good. I had the DVD good. as well. He's mad. The crowd is screaming, aren't they? The crowd's loving it. Oh, would have been a Tim, I mean, Eddie's great in that, but when the guy that owns the song gets on the mic, yeah, there's no one that can sing it like Tim. No. One of the highlights for me on that set list was Suffer Never. Um, oh, I think yes. It was a, yeah, it was Liam. Oh, was it Neil and his brother, Tim, doing that one? Gosh, what an epically cool, creepy song that is. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to play last, the last one because of three songs. My last one is, of course, I've got to do the Smiths classic. My only complaint about this one, it's a little bit too close to the original. It mm. kind of and it kind of sounds too Morrissey-like. But I get why he did it because, you know, he's probably, you know, it's, um, it was, and it was, this was the first time Johnny had played a live Smith song since 87 or whenever, and it was a big deal for him. Read his book, he sort of goes into a bit about it, and he couldn't think, couldn't have thought anyone better than Neil Finn, his mate, to play it. So, here's There is a Light That Never Goes Out. You want to hear it, listeners? Go and jump onto YouTube. It's all there. The videos are great. <coughs> Sounds good. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a wonderful party that you sort of felt like you were invited into. Um, that sort of, um, yeah, just a, a, a man getting all his mates together and having That's a typical. Really good that's time. typical Finn Brothers, though, right? I mean, you look at the mm. farewell concert they did in Sydney. I love that DVD. And it's like you're, you're invited, you know? It's yeah, like they've yeah. touched you and gone, yeah, you come. Yeah, there's like <laughs> Manaki Tanga, you know, really looking after the guests and like getting the best out of them. And no, it's in wonderful. Their, um, in, in their book together alone, they talk about the, or someone talks about the Finn brothers back in the in Tiawamudu when they were little fellas, sort of 13, 14 years old. And the sing songs that they would have, all the neighbors would come over on a Saturday night and they'd be gathered around the piano at the Finn's house. And they just have sing songs until all the hours in the morning. That wow. people dancing. This sounds just fantastic. Um, and the, and that's the sort of, you know, that's how they grew up. I mean, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. really Wonderful. good. Mm. Yeah, that brings back some nice memories, David. Brilliant. Over to you, mate. Martin. Yeah, Martin. What have you got from us from London? Yeah, um, a chilly London this morning. It's very cold here today. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've gone with one um, that it's hard to describe it because it was it was quite a big album. It sold a lot, but you know the, the name of the album actually kind of describes this band perfectly. The, the album was called the uh, the album was called the Invisible Band, um, and the artist is Travis. And the reason they called it the Invisible Band was the fact that yes, they they'd had some hits at that point, but nobody knew who they were you know that they were they weren't certainly getting mobbed down the street or anything like that they were very much kind of like under the radar in terms of just exposure i guess um but everybody knew their songs by that point they'd had their, their massive massive hit on the previous album which is why does it always rain on me um which you know 
again became like a student drunk pissed up friday night anthem that like everybody <laughs> ended up singing um but um yeah the, the follow-up album um i think is is probably the the peak for them they they really kind of hit the stride on this album and and the thing that always strikes me when i listen to it is the guitar work on it is is astounding there's some brilliant brilliant stuff going on with the guitar playing um it, definitely that guy needed more credit um um off the back of this album i went and saw them live i saw them at wembley wembley arena um and they put it's on a you, really, really good live yeah yeah and i um, just like <laughs> in fact i saw them twice because i saw them when i was living while i was living in scotland at the time um and um they played the hogmanay the new year's festival as well and i saw them mm. at that as well oh no good um I'm getting, I'm getting the dirtiest looks from Dave today. I thought you were going to say, and then I, I went backstage and then he came over and he, he looked at us and mum. We don't get well, that luxury, mate. They gave me a lift home, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you still didn't know who they were. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't take lifts from strangers, I, sorry. I like that. Yeah. Oh, are you in a band too? Oh, me too. I'm in a band too. I play keyboards. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what has Travis got for us? Like you read my mind. Um, yeah, um, I've gone um, pretty much with the three singles off the album, actually. Um, the first one uh, I'm going to play a clip of is called Sing. I remember that. Banjo, baby, you've been going so crazy lately. Nothing seems to be going right. So low, watch your head to get so low. You're so you've been waiting in the sun too long. But if you sing, 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 for the love you bring won't mean a thing. Unless you sing, sing. Probably about as upbeat as they got as a band, to be honest. They tended to have a very kind of melancholy kind of sound. Um, what were they like live? They were, they were actually pretty. I think they definitely kind of put a bit more energy into it live um, when you hear the yeah, songs. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But um, to be was honest, people, you, was people sort of standing around just watching, or were they kind of? No, it, it was very much a sing along fest. So right. you know, I think uh. for a lot of it, that that was definitely my big memory of it was everybody kind of singing it, mm. and, and pretty much every. You know, every time there was a hit, that would happen. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very much kind of Interesting. that participation thing. The only thing I really remember from that gig, actually, is is I do remember, I think during that song, actually, they ended up getting somebody from the audience up on stage and basically having a, a, a PlayStation competition with them on, on, the, on the video screen. So they were doing like <laughs> Gran Turismo or something. <laughs> so they were playing the song, which is a bit weird, but hey, you know, it wasn't 
that era, right? Um, yeah, um, I think um, Fran Healy, the lead singer, he's definitely got this kind of maudlin, melancholy <laughs> thing going on. Um, Very much the, so. The Ouija in him, the, the Glaswegian part of him, I don't know. But um, yeah, they, they definitely were more kind of known for the slightly more kind of melancholy, sad, kind of retrospective type songs. Mm. Um, the next one um, I've got for you is actually my favorite one of this. Um, it's a track called Side. Um, it was also a single, wasn't that big a hit, but um, at least I don't think it was. Um, but um, I love the chorus in this. It, it just grabs you. Um, I, I have to say, like in terms of their songwriting ability, they really knew how to get a good hook in their choruses. Um, they were a big chorus band, and I think that's part of the whole sing-along thing, really. Definitely, um, it's definitely the one that, that sticks in my mind the most as well from that period of time. Um, as I say, I was in Scotland at the time. They were huge, being a Scottish band. So definitely kind of, um, yeah, it was definitely kind of like very much like on my radar at that point in time, I think. Um, the third one I've got for you um, is a track called Flowers in the Window. And it's kind of a weird one, this. Um, I can't. I don't know how to kind of describe it, really. Um, you know, they are a band I've kind of mentioned before on, on on the podcast as well. I think when we did the covers one, I think we played the Killer Queen one that, that they did, and I can't remember if we played the Baby One More Time one as well. But have a listen to their cover of Baby One More Time. It's actually pretty astounding. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Flowers in the Window. It's it's kind of yeah. It sounds. It's it's almost a little bit beatily in some ways as well. Um, it, it's kind of, but very much like in, again like that's melancholy kind of slightly downbeat kind of feel to it. something like that there's just structurally mm. there's something going on with that that's 
slightly beastly to me. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I say, um, the album um, critically did very well. Um, commercially did pretty well. Um, and it made it into like the top, I think, within like the, the top 50, um, 100 greatest albums of the year or something. So that's not pretty, not so bad for, for a band that were invisible. Yeah. yeah no, I, I would say pretty much not. And, you know, they were definitely visible. I mean, you don't get to But that you sort still of wouldn't know of. who they are if they walked down the street. No, of course, I wouldn't recognize most people. In fact, people sometimes yell out, hey, Glenn. I'm like, oh, oh, hi. How you doing? Like your mum. <laughs> hey, hey, Dad. Yeah. How are you? All right. Well, I'm going to go next. Um, we talked a little bit about that sort of melancholy and just coming through in that and the Travis. Um, I got, there's plenty of records that I could have reviewed for 2021. Oh, t- no, 2001. Right. How many times am I going to make that mistake? Probably a few more. Um, but actually, this came from a listener. Um, so I was given an album that I haven't heard before from 2001 um, from our one of our listeners in Finland. Um, her name's Tessa, and she said, hey, this one's pretty good. And um, I do like a good melodic, melancholic sort of sound. So this is an album called The Things We Lost in the Fire. Yep. Why, it's by a band called Low, who are a beloved, um, beloved indie band from the United States, from Minnesota. And they've been around, well, they were around from 2000 and, uh, 1993 through to 2022, mm-hmm. uh, when unfortunately one of the band members passed away. Um, so that was the end of the band. Um, so this is an album called Things We Lost in the Fire. And I'll play um, a track and then I'll talk more about them in a moment. So this first one's called Sunflower. To the sort of melancholic sort of sound which obviously immediately mm. interests me very sort of sparse as well um it's only three of them in the band um but it's really centered around two band members who met when they were at grade school when they were like well, grade six so i don't know what that is but quite young um ellen sparhawk and mimi Parker, she plays drums and vocals, um, and then they got married and had a family and just kept performing these albums, and obviously things like this came about. Um, obviously, it was highly well regarded and certainly didn't chart or anything like that, and again, I, I don't think that that's what their whole thing was all about. They stayed true to their craft, and obviously, you know, with the audience size of America got picked up, and 
um, was there. So really strong vocals, but vocal harmonies between them. Um, some of the songs are almost glacial um, in terms of space and sound. You're like waiting, waiting, waiting for things to happen, which is quite interesting, which is quite nice compared to everything that's so compressed now. So, um, yeah, I really... Um, I really enjoyed the record, um, but it's certainly not something you you have to be in that reflectful sort of a mood to do. Listen to low, mm. I suspect. Um, uh, some certainly some challenging songs as well. So the next one I'll put on just a snippet of it is called Laser Beam, and that'll show really that sort of glacial sparseness of the instrumentation. Rest your drunken obviously incredibly sparse at times and just sort of waiting everything's very precise but there's so much space in then that sort of creates its own atmosphere which is a lot of fun um yeah unfortunately um mimi passed away um so poor you know alan lost the love of his life and family member um and so that was that the band is no longer but there's a very very big back catalogue um, to explore and a lot of riches there um, so it's an act that I'll probably check out a little bit more of um, o- over time as well um, because of some of that sort of it's got a bit of edge to it it sounds like it could be made now and it would be still fine um, it, it doesn't seem to have dated at all from 2001 to now um, the last track I'll play is Dinosaur Act after expenses and pulling up fences, no more airplanes. And putting your foot down. that organ in the background just eerily hanging there just sort of hanging um i think it's just lovely songwriting mm, um, I like that. but a little bit creepy sort of um and yeah it's definitely got a certain uplifting feeling in the melancholy if you know what i mean it doesn't make you feel like oh my god this is the worst um there's something uplifting about the sound that comes from it as well um or that could be just me low um it, it was it was really nice to listen to all right ian what have you got for us i uh i struggled with 2001 because i wanted to do something sort of like not i'd not really heard so much of so i reached out to one of our listeners and uh a dear friend glenn chadwick and i sent him a message saying mate give me a 2001 album to review and he wrote back and went what kind of thing do you want heavy folk psychedelic 
So I said, folk, please. And uh, he gave me an album. And I'm just going to come straight in with a little bit of this. So you think. No, when you yeah, I mean folk, um, yeah, no, it's a no. it's a it's a folk album. It's uh, it's a fan. It, well, I won't say fantastic. It's an interesting album. It's uh, the album's called Crowsit on Blood Tree, and it's by a guy called Graham Coxon, who's oh, yep. the yep. guitarist from Blur. And yeah, I mean this. It's hard to review like to get information on it because there is none so wikipedia wikipedia gives me about one line <laughs> uh but it was yeah, obviously released in 2001 it's it says here it's perhaps the darkest and quietest of coxon's albums uh there's quite a lot of mournful ballads on there um some songs have got a signature overdriven rock thing i know right and now i've listened to this album three times and Oh, the other one he, he recommended to me was I Get Wet by Andrew WK. But that blew my fucking mind. I couldn't listen to that. <laughs> it does have an interesting title. <laughs> what does it, what, why did it blow your mind? What was, what was so mind-blowing about it? It was dance metal. And right. uh, I just was like, Chadwick, you've lost your shit. So I went. I went back to Graham one, Coxon. One, one, one genre too many for you, was it? Oh, he's great. I loved it. It was yeah. But this this album. So the first time I listened to it, I think I I was just like Dave. I was like, this is not folk. Uh, the second time, I was like, Glenn, this is not folk. And then, <laughs> then the, third, the third time, I was like. I can hear, I can hear folk in it. Um, and Glenn's right. He said to me, it's a really diverse album. That's mm. the word. And once you get your head around the diversity of it. So the first song I just played you there, that was uh, actually track one called Empty Word. And that just throws you right off. You think, oh, this is going to be noisy. But um, here you go. Check some of this out. This song's called Thank God for the Rain off the very same album. Such a messed up world we're living in today Thank God for the rain Maybe it'll wash that scum away Nature replaces You see the lives in all the faces Of so-called lunatics and basket cases Who'd hang themselves with their shoelaces 
They have no place in the rat races A society which just misplaces Puts more importance on money, not faces And had his sleeves filled with all the aces Yeah Oh, Graham, he's awesome He really is well, this is this is the this is the uh, the sort of curveball. You sort of listen to it the first time around, you think this is shit, and then the more you kind of listen to it, the more you sort of get into it and think, actually, this is bloody genius. And mm. uh, okay, he's no singer, right? A given, but he's uh, he's obviously experimenting and just chucking stuff out there, and and you can listen to some. There's, there's like a almost a Robert Johnson song on it, the slide. Just one gets and slide, and he's kind of humming, and he's got a lot of pain in him, and he's humming in parts of it. He shouts and screams, and if you're not used to that kind of music, like I'm not, you kind of think, "What's going on?" But like I said, it's a curveball. It kind of drives you back in. You're like, "Oh." Um, the final song I'd like to share with you is a song called uh, "Big Bird." Um, the album's called Crow Sit on Blood Tree. And I tell you what, I, I think I think you should buy it. I would have it in my collection, and I actually was reading a book whilst this was on in the background a third time, and it was brilliant. So this is the third final song I've got. Big Bird, Graham Coxon. myself listening to a bit of that i may i think mate you would really dig that album it's um songs like that big bird i mean the sound's massive and then then he strips it right back down to two guitars one guitar Mm -hmm. he's a a very very clever guitarist damn and once the last song what's the last song called it's fantastic it's got uh it's called A a place for grief and he and uh, at the end of that song, and I noticed this before I read this as well on Wikipedia, there's a hidden track, so the song kind of comes to an end, and it's like a low sort of guitar hum at the end of the song, like a hidden song under the song. It's very mm. clever. He's a clever guy. Yeah, check that album out. Something mm. different. If you want alternative folk, go and have a listen to that. You've got all the different sort of seasons in that those four albums haven't you very much so david i think you're i think you're so correct on that i want to say yeah. thanks to glenn chadwick though that was i didn't think i'd dig it but actually i do quite dig it and i'm going to listen more to it i must admit having some recommendations for a year was actually a real challenge but also quite quite fun as well there was something quite cool about it mm-hmm. um so I think we could invite listeners um, to send us something through um, when we pick a year. I think it's been quite quite cool, actually. 
Um, mixed, mixed bag. You just don't know what the hell you're going to get. <laughs> no, no. Exactly. But you never know. It might be quite, it might be a bit of a gem. Um, so that's our wrap up of 2001. Um, yeah, obviously, there were so many other records that we could have um, listened to. So we obviously had a party at the beginning with David's one, um, a bit more of a sing along, but also getting sadder at the same time with Travis, then my one, which is low. I think that says it all. Um, and low but uplifting at the same time. And then ends mixed collection of folk. And I would say there was a lot of pain in that as well with Graham's album. So a really interesting mixed up sort of review of albums this time. So it's been pretty cool. Excellent. So it's 20, 2001. 2001. Oh my God, it's going to come <laughs> Get it right, man. Oh, all right, that's enough. I've had enough. All right, good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Happy 2021. Happy 2020- <laughs> 2021. <laughs>